Hello, Remote Start Nation, and welcome to Remote Start, the podcast for the individual who wants to start a business, build a lifestyle brand, and do it all while living the lifestyle they desire. Our goal is to help you take that idea, skill, or passion and turn it into a profitable, scalable business that thrives within your community. I'm Jim Doyon, your host, and I am on a mission along with special guests to help you understand yourself, the lifestyle you truly want from your business, and what it takes to start and scale it through systems and creating a sought-after brand. Regardless of the industry or where your small business is at in its growth stage, Remote Start is packed with lessons, stories, and the do's and don'ts of how to get where you want. So my simple question to you, what are you ready to start? If it's in business, branding, or lifestyle, then start it now and join the Remote Start Nation. Without further ado, let's get this show started. What is up, Remote Start Nation? Let's get something started. I'm Jim Doyon, and welcome to another episode of Remote Start, where I bring you the stories and strategies on how to start a business, build a brand, and create your desired lifestyle. On today's episode, I want to bring on someone I've known for since the very early stages of my last company, Ink Addict Apparel, someone who was in one of the first bands that we worked with and got behind to promote. He's since gone on to start his own business, Box 5 Tattoo and Fine Art, located in Livonia, Michigan. He's also started another band. He's an author and is also host to his own podcast. So today, Remote Start Nation, I want to introduce you to Carlos Kowalski as we discuss how running a band and running a business have parallels and how you can take some of the knowledge he drops and turn that into maybe an something that you're going through right now and um, turning that into maybe starting your own business. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Carlos. Los, what is up, man? Welcome to the Remote Start Hello, Nation. Good to see I'm, you, man. You too, dude. I'm so happy to have you here today. I want, to, I want to start this off. I want you to tell me one thing that if someone were to just meet you, they wouldn't know about you. For sure. Um you're not going to get this vibe from this interview. And I don't think any of your, your viewers or listeners will, but I'm a super shy dude, like really quiet. Um, when it comes to tattooing or being on stage or anything like that, of course, I've got the gift of gab. I like to go, go, go. I like to get into any topic that you can imagine and find like cool segues into philosophy and politics and aliens and everything. But I'm like super quiet, super shy, but you wouldn't get that if you saw me right away for sure. And I really think with how like shy I am, you wouldn't be like, Oh yeah, this guy's probably a profitable business owner. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's funny because I remember when we first met and seeing you on stage and like everybody in the audience was just like eyes on lows, like just your performance. It was incredible and always was. And, and so when you're on stage, it's, it's like your shy self then is completely somebody else. Right. Yeah. Totally gone. And uh, I've like thought of it as like character based before, but not really like it, it's authentic, you know, when I'm on stage and I'm like locked into the music, I think what was uh, attractive in those days of live performance is that I believed in that performance wholeheartedly. Right. So I wasn't shy on stage at all because I was like, this is what we're here for. So let me, you know, just open up. And I remember uh, telling bandmates before, like, uh, before that turn happened, I was like, look, dude, I think on the next show, I'm just going to like really let it go. They're like, what are you talking about? I thought you already got into it. I'm like, no, no, like really let it go. Uh, and uh, 
I had like long hair at the time. And there was just like this weird bouncy dance that I used to do because I was just like feeling the vibe of everything. Uh, and I don't know if that's what locked onto me or whatever. I don't know if it was just the movements on stage or the theatricality of like the performance or whatever, but yeah. Uh, I remember somebody once was like, dude, you could read the back of a box of cereal and I would be into it. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt <laughs> from, the, uh, from the stands watching as well, man. So, yeah. so talking about music and, and this episode's about, you know, the transformation from music to business and how it parallels. And, you know, when let's talk, like go back and, and talk about your first band and, and kind of like your, your whole uh, background of, of music and, and being in a band. For sure. Yeah. Uh, the very first, uh, I don't know how much you know about this actually, but I had a seven year hip hop career before I did metal music. And that was like, uh, maybe sophomore, junior year of high school is when that started. And we had a high school of like 2,200 people. So we always had a lot of people we could try to sell CDs to. This is back when people were burning CDs. on their Nice. Computer, right? So we had like a major hustle. And uh, so basically, I guess you'd say I was a kid, right? 16, 17 years old, yeah. um, trying to run a business, uh, recording music, burning CDs, selling them to people, recording new music, burning CDs, rinse, repeat. Uh, after I graduated, um, there was always like different iterations of the hip hop persona. Like uh, the first, uh, it was all horrorcore, like think like ICP type music. Yeah. The first uh, group was called Twofold Horror, and then there's one called Dramadeus, and then there's one called Cellar Mannequin. Cellar Mannequin was more of like a uh, cyphery backpack hip hop type dude. It was a little bit more like college type hip hop rather than like underground horrorcore. Okay. Uh, but all of those uh, we did like full merch runs for and mini tours and festivals and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then after that, I switched over to metal music and that's where most people knew me from. That's where we still know me from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had met when your company wasn't even what your company became yet. We met when your company was still a thing of like, let's scan your tattoos and put them on your own clothing. Wow. That that must have been the very, yeah. The very first iteration of ink addict apparel. That was probably 2009. Um, I feel like it was earlier. Unless, I mean, you have a more accurate estimate on uh, when you were, but I know Bad on Fire started in 06, 07. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. In fact, you're right. That was because we were still in the basement. We were in my basement. We were still. So, yeah, that was 07, 08 because Ink Addict started in 07. So, okay. yeah, you're, you're right. That's damn, dude. That's taking it way back. Yeah. And uh, then uh, uh, doing that band we needed merch printed. So then that's when we like hit you up like, all right, like, you know, have you ever even considered doing like band t-shirts? Like, I know you have your own thing, but like band t-shirts. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And at that point, <laughs> both of us are hustling. Like we're like, yeah, of course I do that. Yeah, exactly. Try, trying to get in where you fit in. Um, so yeah, we did Bad on Fire for, from 2007 or 2006 to 2012. So six years there. And then, uh, then that's where I started tattooing. And I remember this like hard cut, like I was apprenticing still while I was um, in Bad on Fire doing the metal band. Um, but as soon as I did like my first tattoo, like I just band was over. And it wasn't that, that 
was coincidental. It wasn't yeah. that, like, you know, okay, guys, band's got to break up because I'm a tattooer now or anything like that. Um, and then there's a 10 year gap of tattooing before I started another band. So back to that transition of at this point, you, you decide you've always been very creative. In fact, like the bat on fire album artwork, does that, did you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I used to do all of our album artwork and I would do uh, the majority of our t-shirt design. Sometimes I'd have to outsource it because I'm not great at doing t-shirts, but like painting album artwork or like, like physically oil painting album artwork and photographing it or digital. I did all those. I remember that. I remember, and they were always awesome. And something too, just a little backtrack to uh, the Bat on Fire days. I'll tell you of, of all the bands that we used to work with and promote. And I think I've told you this. I know I've told your brother, but the one thing I respected and, and loved the most about your band is that you had you had such a story to tell. And it was always there was always something more to it than just the music or the performance. Like when you listen to it, it was you know the whole album told a story. And I love that because it was something that, you know, even as a business or, you know, anything we do in life, there's a story behind it. Right. And, and to, to get your audience involved, to tell that story, uh, you guys did such a good job of that. So I, I don't know if I ever told you that. So I want to let you know, but um, so yeah, definitely, man. And I know that's not easy to do. Uh, So yeah, hats off on that. So now back to where I was going to go. When you, you're in, you're in music, you start apprenticing uh, to be a tattoo artist. What was, do you remember, like, it was just like your love of art that got you there? Like, what was that transition? So I was always getting tattooed. And uh, prior to being a tattooer, I was an oil painter. And I uh, thought I was really good. It almost seems like every year I look back previously, like, oh, you're not good. You sucked last year. Now, now you're good. And then the next year, like, oh, you suck. Right. So I always thought I was a good painter. Who really knows? Uh, at this point, I've given up painting entirely. But when I retired from painting, I was a really talented, hyper-realist oil painter. And I Big can time. say that without ego. ego. Um, but at that time, I was just doing paintings and getting tattooed and like trying to chum up to my tattoo artists and trying to use big art terms and make it sound like, uh, yeah, I'm like one of you guys. Because at that point, foolishly, I thought that tattooers were the strongest artists in the entire world because they had to know every single art style, every single uh, application element. They had to do it perfect every single time. So I thought, man, that's the top tier. And boy, was I way off. <laughs> well, with the more tattooers I met growing up, like, oh, that's not really the case. But um, <laughs> <laughs> at that time, uh, like, I was just, like, kind of chumming up to them. And um, this, is, like, never happens in the tattoo world. But they offered me the apprenticeship. They're like, dude, you got to learn how to tattoo. you got to get in on this. And I thought it was like a respect of the art type thing. Like, Holy shit, they see me as like a strong artist and this is a good move, which was the case, but it was mostly yeah. just a money thing. Like, oh man, we got to get this guy working in the shop. So um, so that transition came just from being a tattoo collector. And then they're like, you know, saying like, hey, you should do this instead. You'll make some good money. I was like, yeah, okay, we'll see. Like, And then get like super serious. Like, no, dude, you should really do this. You'll make good money at it. Like, oh, okay. I always took it super seriously too. I, I was never flippant about it. I was just like, okay, I guess I'll give it a shot. And then as soon as you dive into that world, like everything changes. Everything. And I remember you're, you're such a student of your trade too. Like I remember the conventions and seeing you at, and you're like, yeah, I didn't get a booth, but I'm here taking seminars and learning and hanging out with, you know, the top artists in, in, you know, whatever the medium was that you were trying to, I think it was painting oil painting, right? Like that you were trying to really, mm-hmm 
understand and learn and um, like to, and like you said, when you stop painting, which I didn't know you stopped, by the way, that's another conversation there. But uh, when yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you said, you, you know, you were, you're incredibly talented in it. And I, I can vouch for that. You, I mean, phenomenal. So, uh, but you didn't start there. Like you, you came from, you know, you, humble beginnings, humble beginnings to where you are. Like, and I think a lot of that was obviously you push yourself in everything you do. I've seen that personally, but you know, you're also, like I said, a, you know, you're, you're always trying to get taught and learn and, and you're not just someone that's going to sit back and just think that you're awesome and you're going to continuously try to improve yourself. So hats off on that, man. Thank you. Yeah. I've uh, always been super motivated. I've never, ever, ever, ever been afraid to chase a dream. It's always something I've gone for. Uh, I think whether it's music, business, uh, painting, hobbies, whatever it is, like if you wholeheartedly just go for it, you're going to get somewhere. It's just, uh, uh, how should I put this? Uh, the amount of a fuck you give over time equals success. So yeah. like, as long as you're constantly trying to progress and constantly trying to get better and you believe it too, it's like, I've seen people, I have a, a, a friend I haven't spoken to in 10 years, but I have a friend who got an MFA from uh master of fine arts from art Institute of Chicago. It's a, you know, world-class museum, world-class program. And she can't draw a palm tree, you know, like, cause she didn't care about it. She just kind of like, Oh yeah, I guess I'll do art. And, you know, parents paid her way through college and all that stuff. And it just didn't work. But um, if like, you're really truly believe it for yourself and you're motivated, then yeah, you can basically accomplish anything. Um, it's just, you know, that's so much easier to say to somebody who's not like already of that mindset than for them to like, turn it but i had to turn it like i grew up like so like anxious and depressed and felt like you know, worthless and all that stuff and painting was the first thing uh in particular that i felt like i could be good at and with like every brush stroke you're like man people are gonna love this people are gonna love this uh, this is gonna be great i'm gonna get notoriety from this, whatever it is and uh i just kind of like nurtured that positive addiction i would guess and that turned into that kind of like gusto but really um like if I wanted to boil all that down, it's just this fearlessness of just like, well, you might as well go for it and like be brave. And if I, if my edge over the competition is that like, I have the balls to go for it yeah. and to just do what I want to do and like be seen doing it. Um, that's like so easy for me, you know, even being a shy person, it's so easy for me to be like, Oh, the next guy isn't willing to try that hard. Oh, well, I'll try super hard. You know? Well, that's, that's a good point. And, and remote start nation, I want to go back to a minute to go is something that Lo said, you can get to anywhere you want to get to over time, right? Like a, too many times I see people that jump in and right away, they expect to be the best at something or right away. They, if they don't get it, they, they get, they give up and you didn't do that. You, you took lessons. You did the things that, that you needed to do to master your skill. And now you are where you're at today and, and you're continuously growing. So you know, you, you brought up a great point and, and, and thank you for bringing that. And I hope uh, remote start nation, you can really take that to heart and look at that value. And, and if you're getting into something, if you're about to leave a career, if you're, if you're not in a career yet, and you're looking to jump into a skill or a craft, understand it's going to take time. And it's a little pieces that you put every day towards that, that in the end are going to get you, get you to where you want to be. So keep working hard. Don't give up. Um, so Los, let's, let's move on for a second from, all right. So you're in your apprenticeship and now at what point, obviously you, you tattoo for a lot of years before you start to 
you know, think about getting into your own business. Um, let's talk about what that looks like. So I had been tattooing for, I want to say six years, five or six years before I opened my own business. Uh, and I was doing really good and I'm going to, um, throw like some numbers around. Well, maybe I don't need to do that, but, um, I was doing really good, like really good. And, uh, financially I was bringing, I had a lot of clients. I was always booked out. I was doing eight to nine hour days, five days a week at $150 an hour. So it was like a lot of money was coming through. Um, and life was great. And, uh, I was on a percentage based, I was at a percentage based shop where I had to cut out 45% of the house. Right. And, uh, I was just living great. Had a lot of blow money. Like it was going good. Uh, and then we had our first kid. I'm going to lay this on her. <laughs> then we had our first kid and uh, Kelly had to uh, take time off work. There's no like health insurance in the tattoo industry. It just doesn't need to pay for it out of pocket if you wanted it. Uh, and so we had our first kid, Kennedy, and Kelly had to cut her hours back to be a mom. And we, I think we lost entirely the health benefits that she had from her job. Wow. So I had to pay for it out of pocket. And at that time I was like, oh, a thousand dollars a month out of the pocket kind of hurts. So yeah. I need to make some more money. Yeah. So uh, I have always, always said, I don't want to be a shop owner. I don't want to own my own business. I just want to show up, do my art and leave and focus on getting that art better, 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 better. And let somebody else have the headache of running the company. Well, at a certain point, that choice was out of my hands because yeah. uh, the place that I was tattooing at, they weren't willing to give me a raise. So I was like, well, I need to make more money. So I'm going to have to do this on my own, I suppose. And when I ran the numbers, it was like $20,000 a year cheaper to run my own business than to cut out what I was cutting out to the house because I was already making so much money uh, doing tattoos. So yeah. I was like, all right, well, that's a no-brainer. Just you know, take what you do here, go over here, get a raise, and then now you can afford you know to raise your family and all that. And like you know, for that extra 20k or whatever, you're going to have to learn how to run a company. Uh, there was a huge complication that happened there because uh, while I was working on the construction of the business, I uh, fell and broke my back and was out of work for a few months. And then that threw a wrench in all the works financially. So that became a, a big catastrophe. But, you know, we got back on our feet. We're working through that. That's totally fine. We're profitable. Everything's good. Um, but what I figured out is that where my wife was working, she's a cosmetologist, so she did hair. And uh, her income was at or slightly, just slightly below what we would pay a full-time manager at the shop. So it was like, well, instead of like going to work and busting your back and subsidizing my employee, why don't you just quit and come work at the shop? So that's what she did. And then she was able to absorb those managerial duties. So I was able to go focus right back on just show up, do my tattoos, go home, get better, become a better artist, better artist, better artist, but then also run my own company. Um, so that's like why the turn happened. Yeah. That's the, the, the motivation for why we had to open the ground place. So that's one, uh, one point you hit on that. I think so important in business and I've talked about it in past episodes and it's about finding that partner, finding that other person that can come in and help you in the areas that you're not good at. So you can focus on your strengths. And it's, it's awesome that you found out with your wife that as a team, now you were tackling, you know, this project and this new business and looking at your strengths and, and going forward with that. And it sounds like that was kind of the, the stepping stone to getting back into that realm of you being doing what you're good at and, and that focus 
to take you out of where you were and, and kind of that trajectory of what your business is at today. Mm-hmm. And like some of the, out, like, it wasn't like I was inept or incapable of running a business and doing my art. I, I don't want to like put that out there, but you need a kindred spirit in whatever you're doing, whether it's learning a new skill, like say you want to become a photographer. Well, you need to have a friend that you're really close with that you have a trust and a bond with that's going to help you with your photography skills because they already know it. You know, yeah. uh, Kelly is just better at numbers than I am, right? So it made more sense. And, you know, to run a family business, it's a fun little American dream. Um, but after we got it rolling and we're a few years into this company, uh, I've been able to like, fall back onto some of my skills from running bands or from, you know, running like an art career of promotional uh, tactics or uh, just, you know, flyer design or something like that, or, you know, what kind of cool little swag promo stuff do we want to put together for our aftercare bags and whatnot. Like, excuse me, finding that was exciting creatively uh, because it's like, Oh man, I know how to do all this stuff. So like, now there's an aspect of running the business where it's like, well, if you handle the P and L's, take care of that. I'll do all the other fun, creative stuff. You know, I'll come in and like, I'll, you know, sweep and mop every morning and plan out like, Ooh, you know, how are we going to, uh, you know, boost our phone calls this, this month? Like, what can I do to get more people, um, wearing t-shirts, you know, like stuff like that. And then try yeah. to, you know, while I'm doing a mundane activity, plot out like the next, uh, promotional tactic and then i get the tattoo for the day and you know give myself to that client holy i'm not gonna spend that time like tattooing and like day, being quiet and daydreaming about like how i can make more money or anything like that uh, at that point we're just you know conversing and watching tv and having a good time i'm focused on keeping them calm and comfortable because i like to push people for really long hours when i tattoo but uh like i when you have to hustle as like a younger you know artist like you learn photoshop you learn how Kinko's works. You learn you know, who to call to print t-shirts. You learn yeah. the difference between like, uh, you know, a uh, sublimated print and a screen print and what the pricing differences are and what it's going to work for you. So uh, to have all those skills and then be able to like, after we were rolling for like a couple of years, be like, well, you know what? I have the energy to work on both. Like, right. it, it was, you know, su- super fun. So with the, with the pandemic and kind of talking about the, the parallels between the band and, and uh, the business, obviously through the pandemic, a lot of bands like weren't allowed to perform live. Like they, they didn't know what to do. Right. And I, I saw that through mm-hmm. a lot of my friends and for someone that, you know, went from being, I mean, you had some success in your, in your bands. It wasn't like you just, you know, didn't, it wasn't like you were just playing little house shows, but um, so what's it like a, a big piece of advice that you can give to maybe someone that, you know, uh, their band broke up and they don't know what to do. Maybe they're lost. They've got this great skill set, or they've got something that they could go tackle, but they just haven't got started. What's, what's, what's one piece of six of, um, something that you can give them that, uh, they can take away. So, uh, this is a little bit more meta. It's a little bit more hippie. Um, but the vibe and the energy that you feel in that, that wave that you're riding when you're being a creative, uh, that is what's important. That's what matters. That's the only truth to creativity. Everything else we're doing is a particular type of artifice. It's something that we decided I'm going to put that energy into sculpting little clay bowls, or I'm going to put that energy into editing music videos or whatever. So that 
like being faithful to that flow is what you should focus on rather than like, oh no, the band broke up and I'm really into the band. Well, fuck the band. Like what else can you do with that energy? Um, and if you, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase a comedian on this, but it's, you know, comedians are like our modern day philosophers, right? They say the things that we already know, like back in like a more philosophical way. So um, I don't feel any guilt in paraphrasing somebody else for my same advice that I would give somebody. But as long as you uh, can accept that your dreams might not go exactly the way you want it to, you'll still be fulfilled in the pursuit of doing it and you will be successful doing it. So I wanted to be a famous oil painter, wasn't working. So I became a successful musician. Okay, cool. That's working. And then that fell through. It's like, man, I want to be a uh, tattooer. Like, okay. Um, and that's where I'm at now. Right. And I, I gave up oil painting for different reasons, but I still show up every day, create a piece of art visually, and then get cash or credit for it. So how different is that than doing commissioned oil paintings? Right. Yeah. I got to that point because I realized that that ribbon of energy is more important than the specifics of what you're doing. So I would say uh, to be less hippie about it, less metaphysical about it. Um, you could just look at individual aspects of what you did in your band or in your, your musical endeavors, if you're a producer or a performer and say like, well, you know, I know how to do this. So how can I port that to something else? If I can't tour right now or fans, if live performances are just like severed 80% of what you can do. Um, and that's, you know, where I put my energy, what else can I do? So say you're a producer and you're really good at pro tools and you're really good at audio interfacing. Well, maybe you should start working on a different job that is through your computer that requires hardware that connects to your computer. Right. So um, I'm just making one up here, but what if you're a parts inspector for like a manufacturing company? And, and part of doing that is hooking up rigs to the computer with peripherals like uh, magnifiers or uh, um, you know cameras or whatever. And now you get to be nerdy about those different like lenses and boxes and things that go into your interface. And then you get to be nerdy about what your interface is on your computer and do all that that's that same kind of energy that you would have like sitting and mixing audio and like, you know, hooking up like equipment and whatnot. Um, that's really what I would say is like, you know, we early on in life put the emphasis on, I have this picture of what I want to be when I succeed. I need to be a performer at this level on the billboard charts touring these stadiums. And it's like, okay, well, that's a good way to get your dream going and to get moving. Yeah. But that's not where you're going to end up because only like four people ended up there. So let that part go. Like there's a maturity that should happen in the first 10 years of being an artist where you realize like the original mountain peak that you're looking at is one of many, many mountain peaks. And really what's important is how you climb. It's not, you know, where you end up. That's great advice. And I, I like to look at it too, as even to take it a little bit further and just, if you understand your skill sets and you understand what makes you happy, then there's a whole world out there that you might not, you might not know. You just have to go out and uncover it and you have to look and start asking questions and start reading about, you know, how that creativity that you have or that skill set or that love of something that you have, what that can translate into. Right. And then from there, then it's just about going out and doing your thing, like make it happen, start it, like start asking questions, knocking on doors, whatever it takes. I mean, for you to start your tattoo apprenticeship, it's not like 
I mean, you said they, they asked you, but it's because you were in there talking to them, showing your work, doing the things right. that it took to get to that next level. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and for then, sure. I mean, go yeah, ahead. my, my, my gusto, my input, like, you know, uh, I didn't know that I was asking somebody to have the original thought to ask me to be an apprentice, right? I didn't know that that's what was going on, but I knew that there was a reason. There was something I was doing. There's a reason you're bragging to your tattoo artist about like your painting skills, right? Um, I don't think it, this is like, I mean, you're interviewing me right now asking me on success. So I think I have the, the platform to speak. Absolutely. On. I don't think it, I don't think it matters. Like, uh, I don't think everything needs to be contrived. And that, you know, I, there's holistic people and there's logical people. Right. And I've always been a holistic person that just kind of like trust that, that flow that ribbon of energy and just goes with it. And what happens happens. But if you do anything for 10 years, you're going to be successful at it, whether you want to be or not, that's just how it works. You'll outlast your competitors you'll, uh, that like, you know, come in and drop off, come in and drop off. You'll learn stuff that takes, you know, 10,000, 40,000 hours to actually learn how to do that other people just don't put the time in uh, is just going to happen. I had an experiment for, uh, you know, most of the beginning of my tattoo career where I was doing some promo. I was doing, you know, post your stuff on Instagram, whatever, um, doing some cool little cards and whatever, but I wasn't investing heavy into promotion. I was just doing my work, doing my work, doing my work, doing my work. And after like a, maybe like five years, like I was, you know, booked three months out and I was like, what is going on? Like, I'm not even trying to do this. Like, uh, I am not special. I'm not special. I always have this imposter syndrome thing, but uh, which I'm not special. Nobody is. But um, uh, at that point, I was like, I didn't even ask for this. It's just happening, right? Uh, I heard a really crappy rapper before who's you know multimillionaire, you know, several times over. He's probably the twenty to fifty million dollar range. Uh, he's not good at hip hop. He's never changed like you know the landscape of hip hop or yeah. whatever. But he's like, as long as you do this and you keep doing it, and you never ever stop, and you you know remove failures of one of your options, then it's just going to happen. It's just it's just, that's just how it is. That's so I you know I lean into that and I, I trust it because uh, I've experienced it. Right. Um, I, I don't like to let up. I don't like to be like, oh man, well you know what? Maybe I just shouldn't do promo for the next ten years and just let things happen. Oh, that's lazy. That's not going to help you but i just i don't believe that everything has to be on paper before you start i think you can just get rolling and then it's going to happen and uh, to use your uh former company as an example you didn't know that you were going to end up when you started touring the the country and i don't know if you guys were international or not but touring the world doing conventions and setting up pop-up shops and stuff like that you're probably just Oh yeah, man, we can copy people's tattoos and put them on t-shirts and yeah. then maybe run some band shirts on the side, you know? You're hundred percent right. I mean, for me, I, I mean, at the time that Nathan came to me with the idea to, to do that, uh, I was working for a big lumber company and, and running a division and managing a bunch of people and in charge of all their, their whole sales arm of the division I was running. And honestly, it was like, I was sick of the, it wasn't even corporate it was a family business, but it was, I needed that creative. I needed that. I'm a very creative person. I needed that creativity back. And so when Nathan was like, Hey, let's put tattoos on people, you know, from people's skin and put them on shirts, like as a design, like to me, that just screamed creativity. And I loved every second of it. And then you realize pretty quickly that that's a hard business model to actually do because at that time there wasn't, you know, all of the uh, technology that we have now, all the software that can just do that in the, you know, the click of a button, it was actually hiring a designer to do it all. But what it was, was it, 
you just have to keep going, like you said, and just fine. And it ended up being with working with artists that, okay, we, we really enjoyed was helping them create their own brands, right? And, and us promoting it through our channel, which right. fast forward that to today and, and running Woodward Movement. And that's what we do. But now we do that with, with companies and dispensaries and breweries and, and individuals and whatever that might be. But it's, it's, it's the same concept. We've just evolved it. And for you, right. it's, it's still your same, you're still giving your creativity through art. It's just a different medium, right? So from music right. to tattooing and, and now running a business and running a family. And, and, you know, that's one thing I want to hit on too, is, you know, you're a family man. I've got my own family. You've brought your wife into work, Kelly, in to work with you on your, your business, as you have told us, how, like, what are some, some thoughts on that of, you know, working with your partner every day and, and some of the struggles. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there that could probably help grow their brand or their small business quite a bit if they relied on those closer to them. But there's this, there's a stigma that don't work with family, you know, don't, right. you can't work with family, but I know you've been successful at it. So talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Sure. Um, I, okay. So I'm going to, draw a parallel here i have said for years i'm the worst person to ask on dating advice because i've been with my wife for 20 years so we got together when we were in high school so i don't know shit about the dating world right <laughs> i don't know uh i don't know much about the world of relationships where there's fighting or separate goals that compete with each other because we've been on the same page for two decades so i'm a bad guy to be like you know how should I run a business with my wife? It's like, well, I don't know. Cause I don't know what your relationship is with your wife. Kelly and I have all, we've never fought. We always sit down and have conversations. If something's like a major issue that needs to be resolved. Right. But we don't scream. We don't like, you know, yell. we don't throw shit. We don't break things. We don't go out of town for a few days to blow off steam or anything like that. And I'm not saying that those aren't uh, coping mechanisms that work for you or for anybody else, but uh, that's just not who we are. So for us to work on a business together, it was very simple because we essentially grew up together, you know, I'm 37. So that means we got together when we were like 16 to 18 years old. So we grew through our twenties and the mistakes that happened there. We you know grew through our thirties and all that. Um, so for us, it's a no brainer because we do everything together and we get along in everything that we do. Uh, I've been told that that's unique. So when it comes to running a family business or bringing in like somebody that's a really, really close partner, be it a best friend or something like that, um, I, the best uh, advice I could give or the best perspective I could give is like, you have to have a respect with that person before you have a business relationship with that person. So if you're going to uh, have the type of arguments where like it becomes explosive, it's probably not going to work. It just won't. If you're going to be in the position where you always think you know better than that other person and you're probably like a lord over them, it's probably not going to work. But if you have a mutual respect and you know each other's skills and you uh, let people. So if I came to Kelly and criticized her bookkeeping or her ability to take phone calls and turn them into profitable appointments, or if she came to me and criticized like my art skills or my bedside manner when I'm talking with the client, that would probably create some sort of like oh, ruffle some feathers. Yeah. But 
I let her do what she does best and I, you know, trust it and she trusts me. And that, that trust is why we've been together for 20 years, right? Like, you know, when I was in music, you're on the road a lot or you're in uh, small venues, uh, but you're in venues where people are adoring what you're doing. You know, that could create some sort of opportunity for jealousy or for uh, uh, infidelity or whatever, but it never did because, you know, we had that kind of trust. And I was like, oh no, like, you know, I have a commitment to you. I'm not, you know, going to fuck around over here or whatever. Um, nurturing that trust is like what's important. If you're going to run a company together for sure, like you have to have, let people have the room to do what they're doing and not feel like they're under that microscope. I think in uh, the normal um, like world, uh, business world, manufacturing, capitalistic type, you know, hierarchy of you know management down to um, entry level employee, there's always between every step this like combative uh, trust and freedom fight that's happening where it's like you know uh, i have a friend who just lost his job and uh he was like i've been doing really really good and then they fired me and i don't understand um and it's like oh yeah that sucks that's a tragedy uh, you know how how could you you know be doing a great job and get fired and then we were talking about like well, what's going on you know and he's like yeah and i've you know only shown up late a few times but you know given the circumstances they said it's okay like all right yeah yeah and like, uh, you know, and they're really upset that I was doing things out of order, but they were all getting done. Like, okay, okay, okay. And I started to realize that um, in what he was describing to me, like, so management has a set of expectations and you're getting the job done, but you're not following the way that they want. So now there's like this deficiency between, or not deficiency, but this like gap of understanding between the two. So they're like a little bit worried and you're doing your thing. And then you're like, well, I'm doing my thing my own way and it's working out. I don't understand why they don't see that, why they're not rewarding me for that. Like, okay, well, now we're in a position where there's like this combative like relationship, right? Yeah. If you're going to run your own company, remove the combative element of it. Get just like, let people spread their wings, lead into their, their strengths. If something bad happens that could like, you know, change the trajectory of what you're doing uh, irreversibly, then of course, like, you know, intervene and have the fight, whatever has to happen. But um, do it over lunch, right? <laughs> you know, right. don't just like you know show up and like yell at somebody like in front of the clients or whatever, in front of other staff members. Be like, you know, let's go talk about this calmly instead of like you know having an argument about it. And uh, that's really worked. Uh, the sappy other you know uh, answer I have to like you know how how does it work or like you know what is it like to work with your your spouse. I enjoy being around her, right? So if I'm tattooing and I can look forty feet away and see her smiling, I'm like, all right, we're good. That's awesome. But that is, yeah. That's so cool, man. And congrats on that. I know a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people, you know, they struggle to work together. So that's really good advice. And um, I'm going to take some of that and, and, and learn from it myself. So Remote Star Nation, I hope you can do the same. Uh, Los, we're coming to an end here. So before we go, I, I do want you to let the Remote Star Nation know of, you know, where they can find you. Uh, we didn't get a chance to really hit on your book or hit on your podcast. So I'm looking forward to future episodes where we can talk about that stuff. And yeah, for sure. You know, maybe even uh, next time I'm in town, maybe, maybe come in and uh, get some work done and, and get on your podcast. So um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to throw you on there. That'd be awesome. So yeah, let the uh, remote start nation know where, where we can find you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we have a very modest website that's a portal to like, you know, our Facebook and Instagrams. It's box5tattoo.com, B-O-X, the number five, T-A-T-T-O-O. 
uh, that's where you'll get hooked up with uh, the shop or, you know, my socials and on my socials, you can then find the various things that I'm into. Um, I think that the curse of the artist is every artist thinks they can do everything, but like I've already been saying here, like you should probably lean into it if you feel like doing it. So um, you can find links to podcasts, to my novel, to my art, uh, to tattooing, to all of that. Um, and I do uh, do educational seminars. I teach uh, realism and tattooing. Um, so like, you know, if that's something that you're interested in, that's a very small sect of the audience, I'm sure. But if that's something you're interested in, check that out too. Awesome. Well, Los, thank you again for dropping so much value with us today. I look forward to having you back in the future. And with that, Remote Start Nation, I hope you can put some of this value to work for you today and start something now. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for all, all for joining us on this journey as I help you start your business, grow your brand, and create your desired lifestyle. Remember, leave a comment, subscribe, share this episode with your community, anyone you think could learn from it. And until next time, go start something, start today, and go build the lifestyle you desire by taking action. Well, Remote Start Nation, we have come to the end of another episode. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Woodward Movement, your go-to for brand identity, branded merchandise, and brand delivery. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head on over to remotestartpodcast.com or our social channels to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic free resources to help you on your journey. And as always, please don't forget to share the Remote Start Podcast with your friends and colleagues you think would enjoy being part of the Remote Start Nation. Until next time.